Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. Before we dive in on plantar fasciitis, which you're going to want to tune into because we have some really great research coming up, but you know, before we talk about feet, we got to talk about footwear. And if you haven't checked out Vivo Barefoot Shoes, now is your time. You're going to hear more why we think and we believe that these shoes are really going to be beneficial, not only as you're starting to heal, which you don't have to wear them all the time, but it's going to be beneficial for your foot and especially in prevention of plantar fasciitis, having something where your toes actually are able to spread and have the function of your foot without having it be squished. You're going to learn why this is so pertinent to plantar fascia and how that tissue responds as we're moving. We need to gain the strength of our foot. And there has been studies and research that show that wearing Vivo barefoot shoes for over six months helps to increase the strength of your foot by 60%. And that's without doing outside exercise beyond just walking in Vivo barefoot shoes, having your foot actually respond to the ground and need to respond to that stimulus, respond to gaining that strength, having those toes spread and having more room for your foot is so crucial to your foot health. Again, you'll learn more why in this podcast, but if you haven't yet, please check out that link below. We have that link automatically for you, but we have a 15% discount code only for our podcast listeners. So use code OPTIMAL anytime that you're going to check out Vivo Barefoot Shoes. Make sure that you're not using it on shoes that are already discounted, but on new shoes, Code Optimal works to get you 15% off so that you can start to explore what is possible within your foot. We've had a code change, so make sure you use code TOB so that you get 15% off. That is TOB, like the Optimal Body Podcast. All right, talking about a super common diagnosis dealing with the feet plantar fasciitis today, which we did do a previous episode on plantar fasciitis that was all the way back episode 22, where we talk more into what plantar fasciitis actually is, um, the physiology of it, what our tissues are doing in our plantar fascia, stuff like that. So if you want to get a little refresher, you can go back and listen to 22. And today we're just going to talk about some new research, some different um, interventions that actually might help and all the exercises that we would kind of recommend people do in order to actually start building up more resilience and reorganizing their plantar fascia and um, really addressing the pain, which is ultimately the most important thing for most people. And if you watch our podcast at DocGenFit on YouTube, then you will see a big improvement from where we've gone from that episode way a long time ago. I think we were on, we did it on a treatment table because we thought, well, we're physical therapists, so we should do it on a treatment table. (laughs) Now we're in these comfortable chairs. We've got a sign. Things are stepping up around here. Life is good. (laughs) We got a sign. (laughs) (laughs) We basically also just took furniture that was already in our house (laughs) and brought it up to the podcast room. Living room chairs. So (laughs) It's okay. We make it work. (laughs) Anyways. So plantar fasciitis, and again, we touched so much more on this stuff in the first episode, but I think the name itself is something that's a little bit of a misnomer. And we're talking about this in a lot of these itis or these inflammatory disorders especially after you know the first week or the first you know few months it's not 
so much an acute inflammation anymore. There's actually changes in the tissue. We're getting thickening of our plantar fascia and really a lot of just disorganized tissue, which is probably the main issue. Um, and that's where we're calling it more of a plantar fasciopathy uh, than a plantar fasciitis. And apathy basically just means irregular or abnormal. Right. So we want you to start thinking of this as not like, oh my gosh, there's inflammation buildup. And what can I do to take down inflammation, which we usually think, oh, I'm going to ice it. I'm going to rest it. I'm going to, you know, by the time we actually feel these symptoms kick on, we're past that acute stage. We've done some repetitive loading. We've done some repetitive things to that tissue that it's built up over time, causing this thickening and this disorganization. And and really, we see it like you can have a super high arch and have, you know, a risk factor for having plantar fasciitis, or you can have a very low arch and have more pronation and have a risk factor for having this. So yeah. it's really just where is your foot over and over again being placed that's causing repetitive strain and stress to the bottom of your plantar fascia. Yeah. And when it comes to the inflammation discussion in general, like our body responds to almost everything, all of the stimuli mm-hmm. in our environment, any exercise, movement, whatever we do, just mm-hmm. like with some degree of inflammation. So it's just Which like- Which isn't bad. Yeah. So the inflammation itself isn't bad. It's mm-hmm. how our body has responded to this repetitive loading, some inflammation here and there to like rebuilding these tissues in a disorganized way that that can't quite handle the amount of loading that we're putting through it. And so we want to more so- you know, dive into the risk factors as in like, do you do a lot of repetitive standing? Are you doing a lot of, you know, repetitive behaviors like running or different things that are causing a lot of impact and loading over and over and over again? Mm -hmm. I mean, runners are one of the populations that we see this in the most, close to 20% of runners, you know, at one point or another will report having a significant plantar fasciitis that restricts their activities. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's really like the most common heel pain that is reported in the U.S. as well. And I think it said something like 2,000 cases a year or something. 2,000? Was it more than that? No, it's got to be more than that. There was like a <laughs> dozen cases of flatter fasciitis you know, this, this, world, I'm just going to blame everything on pregnancy brain and just... Worldwide. You At know, least a handful of people. Not, not holding up so well. I don't know. If it was too... I would think 2 million sounds more appropriate, but hey, I don't know. We would have to recheck the data on that one. Yeah, we would. Um, And so like diving right into kind of what what can we do to address this? And again, in in the first podcast, we talk a lot more about the treatments that we would see as not as effective for long-term change. There's a lot that we can do to mitigate or help um, improve symptoms in the short term. You know, that's where you would talk about doing different massage techniques, doing different icing or heat applications, stuff like that, that doesn't help with the long-term healing and the Mm -hmm. long-term reorganization and strengthening of these tissues, strengthening of our foot, but might help with short-term pain. So where do we want to start when we want to look at how can I change long-term so I can address and continue to do my own maintenance on this plantar fasciitis, you know, for life? Right. Well, I think what's interesting is one of the most recent studies that's kind of been going around the social media channels, um, but it's been pretty cool to see is, you know, a sign of decreased blood flow actually, 
you know, going to our foot and to our arch, causing some issues with built the buildup of tissue in that area. And that can be causative of some issues in our plantar fascia causing pain, right? And so we see that especially, so this is especially more prominent in those who have a lower arch. Um, and when your big toe starts to move inward, so getting that helix, helix valgus or that adduction, that, that inward movement of that big toe is kind of they they saw like a 22.2% reduction in blood flow to the arch. So now if we're getting a reduction of blood flow to the arch, we're not getting good muscle control. We're not getting good good control at all of the bottom of the foot. Okay. And this could be, you know, going down the road of leading to what we now know of plantar fasciitis. Because the whole bottom of our foot, you know, like we'd like to isolate and say, oh, the plantar fascia, but like really across most joints, especially, you know, in the hand and feet, we have all of these interconnected, you know, tissues. And on the bottom of our foot, we, we have something that's called the plantar aponeurosis, mm -hmm. which the plantar fascia is a part of, but it's just this whole network of tissues that runs all the way from really ankle to the tips of our toes. And so, if we do see this hallux valgus or what we would call more of a bunion type yeah. formation, um, it's going to put an extra stretch on that whole tissue, which is then going to, again, cause to be able to get less blood in there. And if we're already building up or having this thickened, disorganized tissue in our plantar fascia, it's going to be more difficult for blood flow to get in there through all mm -hmm. the capillaries that, that are um, providing blood down to that area. So again, we're already kind of at a disadvantage if we're getting less blood because what we're going to talk about pretty soon here, the movement combined with our blood flow being able to get down there with mm -hmm. all of the building blocks to start rehabbing and rebuilding that tissue is what's really important. So blood flow, you know, can actually be really significant. And we also 100%. see that we also see that with, you know, just the bunion. When when we see people who have bunions, it tends to mean we have less activation or control in those intrinsic foot muscles. Yeah. And that can also be a big risk factor for developing plantar fasciitis if we don't have um, good strength, good active mobility in our intrinsic foot muscles. Yeah. So those intrinsic foot muscles, meaning like the small muscles that really control um, kind of like our toes and stuff. Toe so they, movement, they yeah. come up, think of them like deep inside the foot um, that come up on the, on the sides of the toes and help to spread the toes or bring the toes back together or create movement in the toes in general, which a lot of people we just don't have access to because they're stuffed in shoes all day long. And we especially have this inactivity of the feet and this loss of awareness, perception, control of the foot because we've been told we need to have very structured shoes that do the work for us. So they have the arch support for us. They have the stiffening of the shoe and just that forefoot kind of control where we get this rocker action happening where our foot doesn't have to do the motion itself. The shoe kind of does the motion for you. It has a high heel. It goes down to the foot. You get that, that quick toe off and you have this structure built in. But you know, there's this cool video. We'll, we'll try to throw it up on uh, YouTube and I'll drop the link in, in show notes as well. One of the foot accounts I follow, <laughs> I can't remember which one it is right now. Again, pregnancy brain, because um, <laughs> this was just the other day, but they showed a really cool structured shoe, like kind of a, a typical dress shoe, whether a man might wear one or uh, anyone who wears just a, a structured 
shoe and it squished the toes. And so it showed kind of this narrow toe box of squishing this skeleton and even just the toes of the skeleton will yeah. be, were being squished. And then how the mechanics of the shoe kind of when, when I lift into my heel and then I go into my step, I'm squishing those toes right into that forefoot area, right into like the balls of your feet and then going and walking. And you see just this compression all around, which then we're not just talking about the hallux valgus and like that big toe. We're talking about everything kind of being compressed there. Yeah. And I think footwear is a big one because, you know, the message, the conventional message that we've gotten a lot is you need to build up these external factors around the foot yeah. to help give your arch support, to help take load off the plantar fascia, to prevent too much movement or extension of the toes, which might, you know, then stretch the plantar fascia too much and cause, and cause pain. And, and that's, Great in some cases if it helps, you know, improve the symptoms in that short term. But the longer you use those shoes, the less your foot is going to be doing that itself. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we've got these intrinsic muscles. We've got muscles in our feet, muscles through our ankles that should be able to do all these for us. And that's that intrinsic factor where if we strengthen these things up, we have the components in our foot that can provide our arch with support and yeah. dynamic control. So that if we do pronate into more of a flat foot, we're still supporting through that movement. We have the intrinsic muscles that can spread the toes and, and the mobility that we should have available to extend those toes without having pain. But if we put them in shoes for years and years and years or a couple decades, our foot is just going to continue to lose the ability to do that itself. And we're actually seeing studies. So like there was a study that showed that custom orthotics, which is what you get a lot in the clinic, um, whether you're going to a podiatrist or physical therapist, chiropractor, like we can all make custom orthotics for clients and stuff, but it was less effective in improving pain and function um, than treatment of like manipulation, mobilization, and stretching for two weeks. So though it's, it's kind of like routine, I would say in a lot of clinics, at least in one that I worked at in particular, one that I can think of when I was an aide. So this was years ago now, but that was just a ritual that was like kind of done. Oh, someone has, it comes in, they have foot issues. Let's make them an orthotic. Let's get them into a, a custom orthotic. Yeah. And it was, and it's kind of looked at that as this cool thing. Oh, my clinician made me a custom orthotic. And, and actually you can charge the insurance company pretty good money as a clinic to be able to get that custom orthotic. But we're seeing that it's not actually doing so much. And same with insoles. They're just, they're not superior. And it's been now studied and more research that it's really not superior in pain and function in the long term over conservative treatments that we're, that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Because again, like those orthotics, okay, it's in the shoe now, but then like what do you do when you take your shoes off when you get home and walk around your house? Or what do you do when you change your pair of shoes or don't have that pair of shoes with the orthotic in it? Like you, you, you become reliant. reliant, totally. You become reliant on that to provide that support. So why not along with that, start really treating your foot in a way um, that you're going to have that support long-term and you're going to be able to do it on your own. And that's what, you know, the research really has been showing that, doing, you know, specific stretches of the plantar fascia or building um, strength and mobility through our calf and our Achilles tendon all the way down through the bottom of the foot, strengthening those intrinsic foot muscles. These are all things that you can do. These are all things that can take, you know, 
five, 10 minutes a day to just insert here and there and do consistently to start seeing those changes. So where should someone start? Like if someone's at home and saying, hey, I have plantar fascia, fasciitis, I've never you know, heard of doing these things on my mm-hmm. own, like what can I do? Well, I would say, you know, first, it, it's hard to give generalizations. And I, I think that's what's, you know, we're, yes, we're going to give some exercises, but in general, you want to get to know your own foot. And so we did create like a two-week mini course that takes you through a self-assessment every single day. And it's 10 minutes a day where you self-assess something on your foot or ankle, and then you you learn a couple exercises that you can do yeah. to kind of support that. And there's a lot of education that goes along with it as well because there's resources and all this stuff. Now, we'll, we'll drop the link for that below if you are having foot issues or concerned about having foot issues. Maybe they run in your family. They're really like you, you've seen a lot of people around you with foot issues and you don't want to stumble into that as well. Yeah, I mean, and that's great for plantar fasciitis or anything else, foot, yeah. angle, t- ankle, toe related. We talk related. about so many different issues those like daily assessments really just help you learn about everything from your ankle to flat foot or high arch to how do my toes move to how do i walk or squat and so there's so much in there that's just going to help educate you on how your foot and ankle operates and give you some tools you know right within that barefoot mini course to help address those i mean it will literally tell you what you should be working on you know so we'll give you some things but like that's going to give you the overall package of what your individual foot needs but in general if we're saying okay things are getting compressed there maybe isn't good blood flow especially depending on the type of shoes you've been wearing um we need to start then opening up those tissues. So one of the first places I always think of, and I sh- I've shown this on social media so many times, is just taking off your socks, interlacing them between your toes, and doing that for five to 10 minutes a night. Like you don't need to go crazy with it. I know someone had reached out and like, I did it for two hours yesterday. And I'm like, why? <laughs> that was your first time. <laughs> yeah. 10 to 15 minutes. You know, you don't need a whole bunch of time, but even just get starting to open up and get that space between your toes can help so that we can start working those intrinsic foot muscles and building strength through that full range of motion. Yeah. I mean, the sock is great too, because it doesn't, it's not super aggressive. It's fairly thin. It's just going to put a little bit of extra space in those toes. And even after five to 10 minutes, like you'll notice, and you can just leave the socks in there too, and get up and walk around a little bit and then feel how that feels. Some people will like using um, toe spacers that you can buy. Our favorite is the Neboso toe splay mm-hmm. um, because again, it's it's got a little bit slimmer profile. So it's not super thick between each toe. And it's also something that you can put socks over or wear and put in a shoe if you're going to go on a short errand or something like that. Um, yeah, and they once, feel great. Yeah, they feel great. And once you have uh, done this toe spacing thing, immediately when you take it out, a great thing to try doing then is just active toe spreads. Mm-hmm. And it might not feel like you can do much um, because, again, the first thing we need to start doing is building back up that brain-foot connection. Mm -hmm. If actively moving our toes or actively spreading our toes is something that we haven't tried doing for 10 to 20 years, um, it's going to be really hard to find that connection. But I promise you the muscles are still there, the nerves are still running down there, and there is ways that we can get back connected to those. But, you know, the best one is consistent attempts to activate and spread those toes. Mm -hmm. And then we know that any kind of tendinopathy, so think of this is not a tendinitis, this is a tendinopathy that's happening, right, at that tissue. So uh, the way that we now know to address tendinopathy is through load. 
And yeah. so we have to start loading the tissue. Now, this doesn't have to sound scary. This can sound like putting load through tissue can start with a stretch. So just, you know, getting your foot and starting to pull your toe back so that you're putting some stretch through that big toe and through the bottom of your foot. Like that is the first type of load, getting some load through the Achilles, through the calf, like getting some stretch. That is a good place to start, especially if you're super sensitive at first. But we do have to start working back into doing things like heel raises and starting to load the tissue in a greater capacity than just stretching. Yeah. And heel raises are great because it's going to load through the calf, mm -hmm. it's going to load through the ankle. And then again, that Achilles tendon has the same like fascial layers and planes that are going to run right into that bottom of the foot. So we're kind of getting a twofer where we're going to be strengthening and lengthening in the plantar fascia, mm -hmm. as well as through that Achilles tendon. And when you're flat footed, or even if you have your toes slightly elevated, we're going to be in more of a pronated position, whatever that means for us. And then when we go up into that heel raise, our foot is naturally going to be in more of a rigid supinated position. So that in itself is going to start helping us connect with, okay, here's how I support through a more pronated into a supinated position. And that's a movement that we do every time we walk and take a step. You know, you should be in more of a dorsiflexion or toes towards the shin position. And then you're going to push off um, into plantar flexion pointing toes down, and that's going to supinate or create more of a rigid arch in our foot. So doing these things in a controlled environment, just starting doing heel raises flat on the ground, um, then maybe you're going to go to putting your toes up on a small book or the front of your foot up on a small book so that you have a little bit of more depth you can get mm -hmm. to strengthen through more range. And actually doing something like this, focusing on slow eccentric motion. So when you're coming down from that heel raise, focusing on a slow eccentric range, that has actually been shown to be more effective than just doing calf stretches, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. doing a passive calf stretch, we're not activating those tish tissues and telling them, this is how we reorganize, this is how we rebuild. Yeah. We need to be able to handle this type of load. Yeah, and if you can start to tolerate, so this is now moving down the line, or even in preventative measures, like if you're doing heel raises with your with your shoes off, which hopefully sometimes you are, you know, taking rolling up a small towel and putting it underneath your toes. So just that, the toes, yeah. Just the toes. So when you're going up into that heel raise, you're actually getting a little bit more range of motion into that big toe, which is going to put more stretch and tension onto that plantar fascia. Absolutely. And so we're really starting to then load things. Again, focusing on that really slow lower, whether you're doing it with two feet, whether you're progressing it to one foot, so incredibly important here. And we're seeing in general too, like it for preventative measures, if you lack ankle dorsiflexion, so your ability for your knee to pass your toe, if we're not getting into good ankle range of motion on a regular basis, this has the potential to be a risk factor for leading into plantar fasciitis. So just keeping, you know, good, healthy range of motion from your calf and Achilles through, through full mobility and strength is going to be such a huge key factor for preventing uh, plantar fasciitis. Yeah. And I mean, I have fairly or very limited dorsiflexion, depending on what day. <laughs> and I have very high arch. Yeah. And I, you know, years ago didn't have very good toe mobility. Some would say I still don't, but it's improving a lot more than it was three years ago. But I don't have any arch pain and don't have any, you know, plantar fasciitis type symptoms. 
when I was younger and, and I was growing quickly and I was in kind of my late um, middle school, early high school years, I had really, really bad um, arch pain, especially after something like basketball, where it was just so much pressure and so much impact on my heels. So this is where doing something like strength training and a lot, another thing we can talk about is single leg work. Mm-hmm. I mean, once we're getting a little bit more comfortable doing single leg work, that's going to challenge your your balance and challenge you outside of your base of support. One thing we like doing is six-way taps where you're standing on one foot, you tap your toe in front of you, tap your toe behind, out to the left, cross over and go out to the right, and then you kind of rotate and tap in front and rotate and tap in back. That's going to get your foot really trying to react to that you know, unstable or unpredictable environment, and you're going to need to go into slight pronation, slight supination for that foot and that ankle to react to that challenge in balance. So again, that's another just kind of active exercise that is going to get our ankle, our plantar fascia actively working. Mm-hmm. And we have to, we do have to pay attention to footwear here. Now, if more cushion is something that, you know, is really helping with reducing pain in the short term, to keep, keep that as a short term um, thing that you're using, because really we're looking at, we want less of a heel drop, which means we don't want a really high heel and a lot of even just running shoes, comfortable shoes that people wear, they're going to have a pretty high heel compared to what's happening at the forefoot. So we have to start looking at that. You want to start getting less and less of that heel and even to zero heel drop, which is what Vivo Barefoot does, right? And even if we look at a wide toe box, sometimes they still have a narrow toe area. So even though it goes wider right where the balls of your foot might be, that's not enough, right, to make a typical shoe pattern, which should come out for that big toe and then have enough space for the other toes. And again, this is why we do like something like Vivo Barefoot Shoes. If you have not gotten any, (laughs) please do. We have a 15% discount code. Yeah, code OPTIMAL gets you 15% off. That's just special for our podcast audience. It's all Jen and I wear. I'm somebody who early on wearing barefoot shoes and here's something people do a lot. They're so excited to get their barefoot shoes. They take them, put them on, go work out in them, go run three hours of errands (laughs) in them, come home and run 10 miles because they're like, that's what I normally do. But your foot is not used to that barefoot shoe yet. So getting your foot in them and just wearing them for, you know, increase, slowly increase the amount of time you're wearing them every day. There's a study that Vivo did where when people were wearing barefoot shoes, um, most of their days for just six months, it increased the foot strength up to 70%, which is just insane that just changing that footwear really started to increase that intrinsic foot strength. And they specifically looked at big toe flexion, which having weak big toe flexion is a a risk factor for developing plantar fasciitis because like we've been talking about, that big toe is so integrated into that posterior chain which includes the plantar fascia, it's next door neighbor. Um, so check out Vivo Barefoot. If you haven't, try one of them out, use code OPTIMAL, um, and that's gonna really help uh, put you in footwear that's gonna force your foot to do the work. Yeah, and again, if you wanna listen back on episode 22, we talk a little bit more about this plantar, uh, this plantar fasciopathy and where, where that term's really going, what that really means within the body. We talk about sham treatments that don't really do anything. Which so. one of my favorite ones, you know, is if you go to the store oh, and you gosh. buy a jar of peanut butter, it has to be crunchy, <laughs> skippy, not jiff. 
And then you take some of that crunchy peanut butter and rub it on the bottom of your foot. Because it's the same as some of these other treatments <laughs> that you might see done in the clinic. Yeah, and the reason we call them sham is because when some of these treatments are compared to a placebo or something yeah. that's not actually doing anything more than just rubbing the foot, they, they're about the same. Yeah. And, and so that's where I like to bring up the peanut butter spoon example where, hey, rubbing peanut butter on it with a spoon would be about the same as that. And so we talk about some of those. Um, we talk a little more into the tissue, the science behind that. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be a great one to go listen to. And we have an interview with Jill on that one about fashion. Oh yeah, fascia. just about fashion in yeah. general. That's back when we did you know, our interviews um, our in PT the same pearls. episode as our PT yeah. Pearls. So Jill, fascia, everything expert <laughs> yeah. um, would be a great one to listen to. And we really bring these episodes because we want you to have that knowledge and education so that when you step into the clinic, you feel empowered to ask good questions and yeah. and be able to guide your treatment to something that you know is going to be more effective. So please pass this episode along to anyone who's been told some of those treatments really do work. Like we mentioned below, there is the barefoot mini course. So if you want to actually get to understand your foot a little bit better, get to understand what exercises we were talking about and what you should really be focusing on within your own body, that link is down below. It's gen.health slash barefoot. And you can get this at any time. Go through it on your own time. You'll have access to this two-week course for six months. So go get that link, gen.health slash barefoot.